deeply wrong. Mm-hmm. Welcome to Super Duper Stitches, the paranormal podcast where we use science to look at spooky things. What more can we Whatever. say? Yeah, fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's perfect. I'm Jake. I'm Wyatt. And we're happy to have you here for another episode, another week, and uh, another day, another... <laughs> the sun came out recently. It did. It happened. We saw it. It was amazing. It's uh, really nice. I love that it's still there. <laughs> very reassuring um, to know. Very reassuring. That still exists. I stood out there until I had blisters over my entire face, <laughs> just staring straight up, <laughs> not blinking. Yeah. Uh, so that means that theoretically we are a little bit less insane this week. Mm-hmm. But well, good, that remains the good to kind. be seen. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get started in our, uh, you know, discussing what our theme is for the week, I have I, I've been putting it off long enough, so I finally should try and get a little bit more caught up on some up, up, updates, updates, updates on the Phantom of the Chicago. I've stopped even really paying a lot of attention to. I have a whole bunch of them just kind of piled up, right? And um, I haven't even. I, I just see something. It's like, oh, this seems to be like it's part of that. I will just uh, read it whenever. So I haven't even really uh, vetted them that much. I'm just kind of doing it on the fly. Hey, why not? Uh, that's, these, how, that's how the Phantom reads them too. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the Phantom of the Chicago is the name given to the flying bat creatures of the Greater Chicago area that have surfaced. Mostly in 2017 and onward, mm-hmm. sightings of these just gigantic bat-looking things, and they're spooky, and they're apparently all over the place, and they're still happening, so I'm still reporting on them. They harass people from 64, time to time. 64 episodes later? I don't know, 63? It was the second episode I first started talking oh, about Oh, yeah, it. 63 then. Yeah. My goodness. So, here's the first one I'll talk about. This is from back in what looks like, yeah, February of this year. Hmm. All these tend to be channeled through phantomsandmonsters.com. Lon Strickler, specifically the the guy who runs that website. Hi, Lon. So I googled Michigan cryptids in an attempt to figure out what I saw fly across the sky on my way to work Saturday night when I stumbled upon your website and the sighting from the person in Lansing, Michigan. <laughs> so I decided to give you an account of what I saw. On Saturday, 2-9-19, at around 10.30 p.m., I was driving into town on my way to work when I saw a dark figure the size of an adult human leap from a tree and fly across <laughs> the sky over the road. Mm-hmm. I slammed on my brakes and watched this massive creature fly into a nearby wooded area. I tried to get pictures, but because it was dark out and this creature op- appeared to be jet black in color, nothing was visible in the photos. I live in Clayton, Michigan and work in Adrian, and where I saw this creature was about halfway between the two towns, and the towns are only a 20-minute drive apart. This is down in southeast Michigan, about a 30-minute drive from the Michigan-Ohio state line, so if we're all seeing the same creature, it is definitely migrating. I like that it's massive, but also human-sized. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really big person. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Did they actually include pictures? No, they just said that oh, it was too dark against the dark sky, so just nothing came out. All right. Uh, there weren't any street lamps pointing up at the not this time. creature. Here's something in California, a little different, but it seems like it could potentially be related. Although, again, haven't vetted it. That's right. Um, pitch black winged humanoid. In winged? Am I allowed? Yeah, go um, for it. Winged? A winged, yeah. A humanoid in Canoga Park. Uh, California. Hylon, for the last 20 or more years, I've been waiting to see if other people saw what my male companion and my two neighbors saw hovering in the sky above our backyard. Hmm. The illustration in your article matches exactly what we saw hovering a few hundred feet in the sky. This is in the fall of 1996, also in a very densely populated area in Southern California. Hmm. We lived in Canoga Park at the time. Uh, I'm assuming that's how it's pronounced. In a commercial flight path to Burbank and LAX and just five miles from Van Nuys Airport, one of the busiest small aircraft airports in the country. So the airspace above our neighborhood was always busy. I was in the shower and my companion came into the house yelling, come out in the backyard, you got to see this. Uh, I got out of the shower and could hear our dog and our neighbor's dogs barking excessively. I got dressed and went out into the backyard. Our neighbors were in our yard looking up. Same um, yard a lot. <laughs> yeah. Our dog was looking up towards this thing and barking like crazy. My first thought was someone's flying a kite, but it was a cloudy, dark night mm. with no wind. Mm-hmm. The moon cast a glow behind the clouds, and the thing looked uh, black as pitch and just hung there in the sky. I could not see any head or face with red eyes because of the height it was at. It didn't make any sound that we could hear, but the dogs could hear something, and dogs aren't prone to looking up into the sky and barking at things. Uh. My boyfriend decided to run into the house to get a more powerful flashlight, and while he was in the house, the thing slowly opened its wings and completely banked on uh, banked to the left and slowly glided away in a westerly direction towards the coastline. Hmm. Then looked like one long wing, tattered edges and all. 
This whole incident took about 15 to 20 minutes, and during that, that time, there wasn't a single airplane, jet, or helicopter in the sky. We called the local news station, KTLA, to report what we saw, and they said no calls had come in as of yet, that they would not air it on the local news unless more reports came in. Needless to say, that never happened. I watched news reports, and well, I went online for years looking for similar uh, reports, and the only information I could find that came close was about the Mothman. At the time, I had never heard of the Mothman. I just hope I get a chance to encounter this creature again. I now reside in Kentucky. I still remember every little detail about that uh, this event that happened over 20 years ago, like it happened yesterday. Hmm. Thank you for taking the time to read my story, RG. That one's a more convincing-sounding report, actually, overall. Yeah, it's not quite... I mean, especially not putting in the fantastic details like, oh, I yes. saw yeah, the gargoyle-like shape or like you know, seeing glowing Precisely. red eyes or it attacked my car. It's like, oh, we saw some weird thing and that it freaked the dogs out and that didn't usually happen. The fact that it breaks with so many of the sort of weirdly standard reports that we get or like details standard details in these reports that are submitted to lon's page is more convincing for me yeah and like he even acknowledges the standard details we get as far as the Mm -hmm. red eyes and stuff and says oh i couldn't see that so i don't Mm -hmm. know lon contacted rg for further details and received the following Mm -hmm. Uh, yes when we observed it the wings were drawn more like a u-shape very tattered looking blacker than the night and it looked much larger than the six to seven foot creature people report seeing Mm -hmm. When it opened up its wings to glide away from the height it was at, the wingspan looked to be more like 10 to 15 feet across. There were never any other reports that night or the days following about this thing being sighted. Hmm. Another unusual aspect of this thing was how very slow it glided away. No aircraft could have been able to move that slowly and without any noise. Mm -hmm. I would have to assume there was some kind of like um, high wind, like up high where it was to be gliding like that. Yeah, something of that size. I tend to still think, you know, bird. (laughs) But it's... Night, night glider night bird yeah night glider or just someone uh going in for some spooky exactly. spooky hang gliding yeah that's what i'm looking for so that's a couple more reports on the phantom of the chicago i've got plenty more still oh boy just slowly I'm glad for parse it. out over time very good yeah so do you want to tell us what the uh friggin old the uh, old friggin uh topic for this week that's the thing uh, well, this week we will be diving into generally weird places, is I think where we left yeah. it. Uh, so we wanted to leave it open enough that we could both grab a story, but not so open that it would just be a potpourri type episode. So right. these are strange, strange locations. Neither of us knows what the other has brought to the table. Well, we know the names, but we don't really know the story at all. Which and, is uh, true of pretty much every episode. Pretty much every episode. But <laughs> if this is for some reason your first, welcome and that's what we do. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I've d- uh, huh. I think Who's it's going me. I think you did yeah, last I week. Did spiders the and then spiders. Rides, so, that's yeah. right. So, so it is me. So if you were tired of listening to me talk, I'm too bad. so sorry. All right. So here's a fun little entry from the Unmuseum. Oh, God. Wow. That was really loud. It was the biggest can. Well, I just opened a, a coconut. Garbage right next can to me, of yeah. a beer. A garbage can of beer. Yeah, we're still drinking Basquatch because it's good, and it was a six-pack, which is, I feel like, rare these days. Like, normal-sized cans, six to a thing. Um, most of the time nowadays, all these craft breweries have four packs of pint cans, which you just opened one of. But uh, now that we have a reasonable amount of support on Patreon, we invite listeners to tell us what to review beer-wise. Yeah, we... We will drink whatever. <laughs> Within re- well, no, not even within reason. Any beer with, you want us to drink? Outside of reason, outside specifically. Of reason. Exclusively unreasonable As long beers. as it's a potable drink. <laughs> and technically beer. And technically beer. Then we'll uh, try we'll it. review it. So yeah, uh, you one, can submit your suggestions to contact at superduperstitious.com. <laughs> that email address that you all use daily. Yes. Yeah, please stop emailing. <laughs> God. Uh, the one we just opened so loudly is uh, from, is it, is it pronounced Somi? I've been wondering this since they opened. It's Somi. It's Southern Maine Brewing Company. Som, Somi, I don't know. Uh, this is a whoopie pie stout, and it's, it's pretty tasty. Whoopee! If you're from Pennsylvania and you think that you can lay claim to the invention of the whoopie pie, you can go straight to hell. Or Florida, if you can't make it down there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, or you can go into this waterfall I'm about to talk about. Ooh. I uh, segued. Okay. So in Minnesota, near the border with Canada, sits Judge C.R. Magny State Park. What? Uh, it's named for a local official who was instrumental in getting state parks and scenic areas established in the region. Seems like the only way you could get a name that long yes. on anything. Uh, the park covers over 4,600 acres of forest along the north shore of Lake Superior, flowing south 
through the park is the Brule River. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dr. Steve Brule yeah, River. Yeah, I was just thinking about that. The river drops some 800 feet in only eight miles through a series of waterfalls that delight visitors to the park. They <laughs> just go clapping, yay, yeah. waterfalls. Look at it go. It's <laughs> falling all the way down. It's water. Uh, after rolling over these falls, the rich, uh, river eventually enters Lake Superior. Uh, one of these waterfalls, however, is far better known than the others. About a mile and a half upstream from the lake is the mysterious Devil's Kettle Falls. At the top of the falls, the river is split into two parts by an outcropping of rhyolite rock. The eastern half of the river flows over an edge through a two-step waterfall and down into a pond 50 feet below. Mm-hmm. Water then continues south along the brule and out to the lake. So it's just standard waterfall shit, <laughs> shit going yeah. on. Uh, just <laughs> explained in detail oh, how a waterfall works. Mm-hmm. The reason for that is because it is, is to draw contrast against the western half, which drops 10 feet into a pothole and then vanishes completely. So here is, uh, let me just show you a photo of what that means. We'll post the photo of this too. Oh, I see. So the the normal waterfall falls down here. The one just goes into a hole and does not come back. Does not seem to come back. Makes me think Um, of an underwater or underwater cave. (laughs) A cave, period, with water going through it. (laughs) Yep, there you go. (laughs) Um, So potholes or kettles, as they're sometimes called, are not in themselves a really strange geological feature. Mm-hmm. When a stream pours over a waterfall, the force of the water can wear a hole in the rock. As the water swirls around, it can also pick up small pebbles and sand, and over time, these can help uh, you know, kind of contribute to the erosion and <laughs> carve out an elliptical kettle or pot-like hole. Mm-hmm. Usually, the water in a pothole just flows off to one side through a gap, so like it'll, it'll swirl around in kind of a bowl thing and, and do that, and then it'll just run over the edge and continue on its normal course, right. like you'd expect a river to do. Mm-hmm. But in the odd case of the devil's kettle, it disappears underground. And where it goes underground, however, is a total mystery. Hell. The water goes to hell. In the image I showed you, the river divides in two at the top of the falls. One half stays perfectly visible, continues. Um, the rivers flow at the bottom. The other just falls apparently infinitely into the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really weird. I'll, sh- I'll show you a video in a minute, too, showing it happening. There's just a geyser it, on the other side of the earth. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we have some jokes. People, people say, oh, the water comes out in China or things like that. Oh, it's just God. like, yeah, the, the standard hole standard in the ground bullshit. That, North American exactly. comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yep but it's neat to watch because it's i mean it's a very heavy flow like the water going in more mm, choice and it uh, it's it's not like it's just like you know some water trickling down it doesn't seem to overflow or anything it just goes down it's it's constant like white water rushing down and just going away it's that must cool. be yeah i'm sure there's video and i'm sure i'm about to see it <laughs> i just said that <laughs> scientists who have looked into the enigma are sure the water either eventually rejoins the rest of the river or has its own underwater outlet into Lake Superior. Makes sense. It has to go someplace. It makes sense that it would go to Lake Superior. Again, it's only another ha- like another mile or so before it hits the lake. And it's a giant fucking lake. Mm-hmm. So the water seemingly has to go there. To familiarize folks with the concept of a watershed, water all flows someplace, either above ground or below ground. It all kind of is headed in some direction. There can be aquifers that are just kind of sitting there. But in general, streams, mostly surface water, all work their way based on topography and stuff towards some larger source, usually the ocean eventually. Mm-hmm. But um, if you ever hear something referring to a specific watershed, they'll usually refer to it by the name of either whatever the biggest body of water is around or something like that. Mm-hmm. In this case, yeah, Lake Superior being the nearest uh, nearest body of water, surely everything is just draining into the lake there. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, yeah, if there's like a mountain range or something, you can you can tell which way stuff's going to flow just based on, oh, well, that's downhill, so that's where it's going to go. If you're a few thousand feet away from Lake Superior, you're going to flow into Lake Superior. But they can't seem to find it actually going, the water going there. Huh. Uh, every attempt to trace the path of this half of the river has failed. Some sites that I've, I looked at claim... The researchers have put brightly colored dyes in the falls and tried right. to see first, first natural, you yeah, know, and then tried to, to s- do tried to see where the dye came out in Lake Superior, but were unsuccessful. I other sites make it sound like no one has actually done this because uh, one notable attempt, which I'll get to later, was shut down because of environmental concerns regarding dumping a bunch of dye in the river. Um, right. So I'm not sure if someone has done that before or not. If they did, they they didn't see the dye come out in the lake, so they don't understand. Interesting where it would have come. But folks have definitely dropped all kinds of buoyant things like logs and even ping pong balls down the hole. I think some people said that like, the ping pong balls, they even labeled like their name and phone number. So, oh, if you find this, let us know where you found it. Like people right. want to figure out where right. stuff goes. So they're sending that stuff down, expecting those to then eventually float to the surface when they come out in the lake or at least pop up somewhere downstream somewhere, before yeah. the river um, you know, dumps out there. Mm-hmm. 
but again didn't work uh, another happened. another possibly apocryphal but possibly true example is also a gps someone like throwing in of there of course local lore even has it that someone once threw a car down the hole <laughs> even though it would be so hard to even get a car there it's i'll get to it later a little more about the what it takes to actually get to it it's a decent hike and it's not accessible by road at all Okay. So, um, short of dropping a car by a helicopter, it's pretty doubtful that this actually happened. Sure. Regardless, in all cases, the stuff people have thrown into the devil's kettle seems to just vanish forever. It never resurfaces there or anywhere. It's not like it even bobs at the surface of the kettle itself. Mm-hmm. And and to kind of clarify more about that, let me just show you the promised video of mm-hmm. what that actually looks like. Oh, there's video? <laughs> yes. So, here is the inside of the devil's kettle. Oh my goodness, it's loud. Yeah, turn it down some. Looking at some rocks. So that Looking was the water. The outside here is the side that goes down into the ground. Looking inside, and it's like, oh, it goes down. And, oh, yeah. You can see some, like, large some logs down logs there. Logs have just either kind been of swept down naturally or... Or possibly thrown out, but they're just kind of wedged in place down there. Seems and it's, all, it's a pretty... Straight on down. Pretty substantial torrent of water yeah, just it's gushing a lot down there. Of water. Would not be a good place to fall down. No, you would uh, not have a good time. Um, Unless I mean, you like you could drowning. <laughs> in which case, <laughs> you'd have a great got time. A treat for you, yeah. And there's just the downstream part. It, it was looks very sober, calm. Yeah. So, where's the water going? <laughs> so that is uh, the interior of of the kettle itself. It's it's pretty watery. Uh, good time there, Wyatt. Turns out there's some water in there. There's some water in there. I'm gonna have more beer here. And that's a good bat squatch. Um, so what do you think is happening, Wyatt? I think it's going down into an underwater system and just rejoining the water table down there. Like a cave or something? Like some or? kind of cave network hmm. that is far underground, has been eroded into some kind of rock that retains water well, but also is porous enough that it can just diffuse into the surrounding table. And because of these things we just don't find any of the objects people are throwing down there to try to reclaim later and um simple as that what would you say if i told you you were full of shit why i'd say i probably had to go to the bathroom <laughs> no that is the most logical explanation for where the water could be going it's, it's probably going into a cave the cave may or may not end up going to hell we don't know but i was gonna say i could also have a vortex theory <laughs> yes it's a trans-dimensionally tra- um, transported just someplace else on mm-hmm. another plane. Into the angel's teapot or whatever the fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, caves form primarily in karst geological conditions. So we're talking limestone. We're talking mm-hmm. dolomite. We're talking limestone dolomite. Um, <laughs> I, I think gypsum also might be considered a karst kind of thing, too. They're just minerals that are easily dissolved in water. Karst. Karst. Uh, if you go to... Like Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri in particular, the whole like geology there is Swiss cheese. It's just, it's all mm. karst and it's tons of caves. These types of stone are easily dissolved in water, so it results in the kind of super cool caves you see around the world. Just water flowing through that causes that to happen. And rivers often do disappear into these kinds of rock for that very reason. Uh, water erosion follows the path of least resistance. So if that path leads fully underground, so be it. That's the kind of situation you often see in tropical caves like in Central America or in Thailand. A lot of mm. rivers that fully disappear into the jungle and are just under underground for a long time and create some really cool, very impressive caves. Mm-hmm. The type of rock under Devil's Kettle Falls is rhyolite. Hmm. It's a hard, igneous volcanic rock similar to granite. Mm-hmm. It's not at all soft like limestone. Mm-hmm. So the nearest limestone to Judge C.R. Magny State Park is hundreds of miles away in southern Minnesota. An underground river of this sort doesn't seem to be a reasonable solution to the mystery. Interesting. But karst isn't the only way to make caves. Mm-hmm. Because much of the rock in the area is volcanic in nature, it has also been suggested that the solution to the Devil's Kettle mystery might be a lava tube. Mm, I like it, yeah. Yeah. So a lava tube is a cave formed by lava flowing down from a volcano. When it flows, it's possible for the lava on top exposed to the air to cool and harden before the lava below does creating a long tube-like structure as the lava inside keeps flowing. Uh, when the source of the lava ceases flowing, so if the, you know, the volcano stops erupting or whatever, then the tube can drain out, leaving an empty space inside. Um, this requires fairly fast-moving lava in order to occur. What it does, it can be awesome. Uh, some lava tubes can be very large, up to 50 feet in diameter. Oh, wow. Uh, and long. The most extensive known example is Kazamura Cave in Hawaii, which is over 40 miles in length. Damn. So serious, like, tunnel stuff mm-hmm. going on so it's possible for pretty substantial 
uh, lava tubes to form. Yeah, that's wild. Unlike a limestone cave, which can form thousands or millions of years after the surrounding rock does, a lava tube must form at about the same time as the volcanic rock around it because it's part of the it's rock part itself. Of that, yeah, event. Yeah. Uh, and as far as explanations for a disappearing river in igneous rock, it's not a bad one. A lost lake in Oregon is a decent-sized stream-fed lake during the winter, but then disappears completely during the summer. This is because it's constantly draining through a lava tube. Uh, in the winter, the input rate of flowing water from the streams is faster than the output rate of draining water in the lava tube. So there's a whole lake there. But then every year, once the ratio of <laughs> flow rate I see. swaps, then the water all just drains out and it's gone. Uh, this is also true of Oregon's nearby Fish Lake as well. I do have a little video of uh, Lost Lake doing oh, a sure. little drainage thing just for fun. Um, let's see, hopefully this isn't too loud either. But uh, so here's just this little cute little thing. Uh, the so disappearing lake. You can see it's in a very flat area. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's to be up to like 160 something feet deep, maybe or I don't know. It's fairly impressive how deep the lake can get, or maybe I miss maybe I misread something. I don't know. But it's a, it's not a small like body of water by any means. But no, this that's is fun. yeah, that's where it drains in, and it just continuously drains right there. And it's all kind of down gradient of where the rest of the lake is. So when the water isn't coming in as much, it just dumps straight into there, and all goes That's away. That's cool. Yeah, it's it makes just, me want to like go down in there and hide out for a minute. It's, it's pretty neat. <laughs> um, so and people apparently have tried like throwing stuff in there to block it up too, because people are, are the worst. Dumb. <laughs> yes, um, but people have said you know don't try doing that because if you do successfully block it up, then the entire lake is going to flood, and there's a road right there. It's going to wash away the road. Like don't do that. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the country, <laughs> the rest of the country will be gone. So the theory is maybe the water pouring into the pothole at Devil's Kettle Falls was able to drill down into the rock below deep enough to connect up with an old existing lava tube. I like that one uh, too. Or maybe there was one right there ready to access and the water just flowed right into it. Like seems possible. You never That's, know. Yeah. The problem here is that even though rhyolite is a volcanic rock, it never forms lava tubes. Uh, oh. Lava tubes are usually only created in basaltic rock. Basalt hmm. lava has less silicon dioxide than other types of lava, which makes it runnier when it's molten, and therefore fast-flowing enough to make a tube. the tube in the first place. Yes. There is basaltic rock deep down below the rhyolite at Magni State Park. The problem is that basaltic rock down there didn't come from a volcano. It seeped out of fissures in the ground and spread out over a large flat area like a flood. In fact, this type of rock is known as flood basalt. Hmm. Basalt is also, you, you know, most of the, like the sea floor like the actual bedrock there is basalt. It's kind of like the basic type of rock that comes out of the earth at those kind of zones and stuff. So yeah, it didn't follow any of the normal patterns for a lava tube formation and is the wrong kind of rock in the first place. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because the lava isn't flowing down from a volcano, lava tubes don't form. And even if against all odds one did form, the tube would have to be oriented in just the right direction for the river to take advantage of it. And it seems like kind of, I mean, it's, there's no reason why it couldn't, but it does seem like kind of a a convenient coincidence. Slim odds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another explanation offered by folks is a fault line. Sometimes water can yeah, flow sure. along a fault line. A fault line is a fracture in the rock caused by the movement of the earth, usually associated with earthquakes. I believe you covered those in episode 20. Is that right? I we talked about it. ley lines and stuff. You also talked about other... Yeah, lines. sure. I feel like if you mentioned plate tectonics as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But as you might have guessed, there is no indication of a fault line in the area of the waterfall. Hmm. Even if there was, the amount of water that could flow along it would be relatively small, not half a river... Right. Uh, and also, such a passage would likely have been clogged over the years as rocks, sand, logs, and other materials fell into the kettle. Right. Or cars, if people had their way. Yeah. <laughs> so what the heck is the deal with Devil's Kettle, Wyatt? Mm. Uh, one thing you may have noticed about all the attempted solutions is that they are really more just educated guesses mm-hmm. and not so much scientific experiments. Someone needs to go down in there. <laughs> Someone needs to just jump in mm-hmm. and and do science. Bring a microscope. Put on some swim trunks. <laughs> Hold on to a big string. D- dive in. Solved. <laughs> Luckily, someone did exactly that two years ago. Um, <laughs> Shoot, uh, I was excited. No, a couple years ago, but someone did actually do some science anyway. Nice. Uh, good. In, in spring of 2017, a scientist from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources, the DNR, uh, announced that he thinks he solved the mystery. Side note, DNR has very different connotations depending on the uh, context. I'm not there yet. In the medical context, DNR means... Do not resuscitate. Yes. <laughs> there you go. So, yeah, they just call themselves the DNR. 
Um, hydrologist Jeff Green <laughs> believes... It's a dangerous ID card to bring around. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, it says not yeah, to. Yeah, I guess not. You think you wouldn't have wanted to go down in that fucking hole, but <laughs> I'd hope that the like the state um like the state seal has like you know the department underneath and then has in parentheses please resuscitate please do resuscitate like, Department of Natural Resources please resuscitate and then another ones it has Department of Natural Resources DNR and then underneath DNR <laughs> yes please give the options mm-hmm. um so Jeff Green thinks he found the answer uh, and he thinks that the water almost immediately re-enters the river after the falls sure. The he and colleagues set up water flow gauging equipment just above and below the falls to see how much water was actually flowing there. Mm. And they compared to see how much water was still unaccounted for and presumably falling into hell. Gone a different route. Yeah, so they found the amount of water going by in both spots to be basically identical. So 123 cubic feet per second above and several hundred feet below 121 feet per second. There's a difference of only about two cubic feet per second. Per second. Um, which is pretty damn negligible, especially given the flow we saw in the video. It's a lot of water, so those two feet per second is not a whole lot compared to the overall flow that's happening. Uh, the conclusion is that the water must re-enter the stream within that distance. Yeah, I that guess Because within so, a few huh? hundred feet of the end of the falls, this, the water joins back in again. Hmm. I do think it's kind of funny that it took so long for people to just think of, okay, well, let's just measure how much water is flowing to see how much is unaccounted Seems for. Seems so parsimonious. And, uh, and then we can tell how much is flowing into hell. <laughs> yeah two cubic feet exactly in the fall of 2017 the dnr team planned to confirm this by putting dye in the water and instead of looking for um you know colored water in the lake instead just looking at the river pretty close to the fall to see where the color came in because if people did it in the past and were looking in the lake to see where the dye came out they wouldn't have found it because <laughs> it wasn't like coming out running there. away from where the dye <laughs> exactly. is and it would have quick had, run yeah it would have potentially had enough time to don't you dare look down river <laughs> yes I do wonder, I don't, I mean, having not done dye experiments myself, I know that people have done stuff like that in other places. Right. Um, like with cave systems and stuff too. Even the money pit thing, they tried that out. Yeah. And it helped them figure out some I did think, points of... I, I thought a lot about the money pit when I was reading this and stuff. I was like, oh yeah, people just not doing science, just like doing whatever the hell. Just <laughs> digging and throwing rocks down <laughs> yep. into the pit, basically. Just being humans. Gosh darn it, I want the fucking gold though. <laughs> at both places pretty much so they were going to try and do the die thing in 2017 as you may have noticed it's past 2017 now and i haven't talked about the die thing uh the experiment was unfortunately shut down to as i hinted earlier ecological concerns about dumping dye into it. i there must be that's frustrating as hell though isn't it? yeah i would imagine at some point in the future they could you know have a proposal for like a dye thing that wouldn't be harmful they could show like oh here's a dye that is fine what about some kind of natural dye? i guess it needs to be really really high visibility though yeah can't just dump a shitload of carrot juice down in there <laughs> which would be pretty cool though uh <laughs> just beets just like just, yeah <laughs> i don't know by dre <laughs> yes so green ultimately decided that it wasn't actually scientifically necessary for providing proof of the water's flow since the water volumes already demonstrated that it'd still be cool to know exactly what path the water takes to join the ri- above ground part of the river but like they pointed like there wasn't i don't know what would be required for funding or whatever but they're just like we don't care enough to bother like it's not that important mm-hmm. <laughs> so it would be cool if it could happen down the road but it doesn't need to happen now mm-hmm. one thing i forgot to mention is so people threw stuff in why didn't it come out especially if it's rejoining the river almost immediately why did the ping pong balls not pop back up and um green pointed out that because of the force of the falls it's likely that everything is just forced to the bottom and then obliterated and so yeah, never has a chance to surface again uh, and probably just gets crushed and smashed up and is just gone, which is another reason <laughs> not to jump in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so this little bit, uh, bit from Encyclopedia says, if you want to see these mystifying falls, you need to only uh, you need only take a trip to Judge C.R. Magny State Park yourself. It's a very clucky what name. What does CR stand for? I don't know. <laughs> Court and rules? <laughs> Probably. Uh, observing this puzzling geological feature requires a hike of over a mile and a climb of 200 steps. But Fuck it, um, <laughs> a stairs going down Over a mile? Yeah. Uh, but it is an adventure well worth your time. So that is That's the... Cool. Yeah, it's just a neat little tale of some just weird, weird geology in Minnesota. I like that. It's much more grounded... Than what I will describe to you in Excellent. a few moments. Um, but I wonder if anyone's just swam in the river downstream. Maybe you mentioned this and I just had a weird brief aneurysm. But folks just checking the 
bottom of the river downstream of the yeah see if they notice some kind of like additional current that isn't exactly yeah nothing i've seen has shown that but i it doesn't seem like it'd be that hard to test because you would kind of kind of swim around until you notice something happening i don't know (laughs) yeah look look for the uh pool jet effect yeah (laughs) um but you know it's just that volume of water especially since it is clearly or seems to be rejoining the overall flow with only a couple hundred feet right you would think that its remergence from whatever kind of cavity it's going into would be very explosive. No, it could Maybe be not, if though. it's if it's a fractured rock situation, which True. makes the most could sense for, for where diffuse. it is. It could, yeah, be happening over the course of those two hundred feet, right. as opposed to all at once. That entire waterfall <laughs> just comes shooting. Yeah, I'm straight surprised up. no one saw the fountain-like <laughs> projectile of water from just down <laughs> down below. Um, yep. <laughs> well, that's very cool. Cool. Um, For my segment today, I think I'll let this excerpt from a Discovery Channel travel and adventure show do my top (laughs) of my introduction. I'm excited. I'm also curious what time period this is from to kind of color my expectations for how ridiculous it'll be. I don't know. We'll find out. So far, so good. Not far along the road to Cooktown in far north Queensland, there's a place called Black Mountain. Don't go there. <laughs> Perfect. There you have it. <laughs> and that's all I got. <laughs> no. um, yeah. So um, that is such great narration. I'm so glad I did that. <laughs> as am, as am I. Yes, Black Mountain is the focal feature of a national park in Queensland, Australia, located around 25 kilometers or 16 miles south of Cooktown. The spot gets its name from gigantic granite boulders, many of which measure up to 20 feet long, piled up 900 feet Mm. over the surrounding landscape. Hmm. These boulders, which were formed from solidifying magma, again, volcanic stuff. We could do some sort of volcanic theme for today, I guess. Whatever. (laughs) Was it volcanoes? Um, Solidifying magma around 250 million years ago lack any trace of surface soil and have earned their trademark sinister black coloration through a thin coating of iron and man- uh, manganese oxides. So mm. it really is just a giant heap of sort of like, looks like coal, but giant. Huh. Up the, uh, in, in a mountain. Because the rocks are essentially one big jumbled pile, there is a network of maze-like passages laced throughout Black Mountain's interior. Mm. This creates a kind of natural, scary sounds Foley studio. Oh, cool. As the boulders become exceedingly hot in the sun, hot air moves through these underground passages and sometimes creates sounds that have been described as moaning, screaming, crying, (laughs) wailing, and deep hissing. Oh, wow. So, yeah, kind of a spooky spot. Yeah. Um... So I take it because we just unplugged the audio jack there. You don't have any recordings of that. No, I looked though. I did look around. Um, Unfortunately, none has been recorded or most of this could also just be people going like. (laughs) Is that one now? (laughs) Yeah. It's still going. I totally forgot. very long. I wasn't thinking about the time and that we'd end up overlapping with that happening. The 3.30 demon roar (laughs) from the the Navy Yard. (laughs) Uh, sorry, but yeah, no, that's... But yeah, I mean, I'm sure some of it is exaggeration. Um, sure. But would be very cool. I want to go there. Me too. Um, <laughs> I want to ignore the, the words of that narrator. Oh, yeah. Don't go there. <laughs> what a thing to say. <laughs> it's probably no surprise, given this background, that Black Mountain has long been associated with bizarre, unexplained phenomena and intertwined with dark folklore. It has even been dubbed the Bermuda Triangle of far north Queensland, due to stories dating back to the late 1800s of people, horses, and whole mobs of cattle disappearing at the hmm. site. Aboriginal peoples have long shunned and feared the location, and sightings of strange creatures, unexplained lights, and accounts of many missing persons persist to this day. Wow. It is a weird place, total package. should get back on the show. should get back on the show? should get back on the show. Beck? Beck, yes. At first I thought Beck the musician, and then I realized Beck, <laughs> our mutual friend, yes. who is from Australia. Um, the Rebecca. <laughs> Dr. Do. Dr. Do a lot, probably, actually. <laughs> she does so much. Anyway, <sighs> the Cuckoo Nyungal, I'm probably pronouncing this wrong, Cuckoo Nyungal, people of the region call the mountain uh, Kalkajika, meaning the place of the spear. 
and the site holds very high importance in their cultural mythology. Hmm. There are at least four sites of religious or mythological significance on the mountain. The Kambi, a large rock with a cave where flying foxes are found. Jul Banu, a big gray kangaroo-shaped rock looking toward Cooktown. Burmba, a stone facing toward Helenvale, where sulfur-crested cockatoos are seen. Hmm. And a taboo place called Yurmbal, near the foot of the range. Aboriginal tales describe the mountain as a place haunted by past conflicts. So this is an excerpt from an article in the Australian news outlet. Uh, Let me get their actual name. They just call themselves ABC News, which is kind of funny. Australian Broadcast Company, something like this. Who gives a shit? Uh, Harold (laughs) Ludwig descends from two clans with traditional ownership claims to the site. The Western Yalinji and Gugu... Yimithir, I'm probably pronouncing this completely wrong. He said Kalkajika was a sacred battlefield and the scene of the last spear fight between the black and white cockatoo. Hmm. These are the totems representing the inland and coastal clans whose warriors were clashing over hunting grounds. Quote, they came to blows and many people died and their bones also remained in those mountains. They were put in there, Mr. Ludwig said. It's as significant as the beaches of Gallipoli for us, uh, this place. So he's referring to the World War uh, one battle at Gallipoli in Turkey, wherein uh, Australian to- uh, troops suffered major losses. Hmm. Let me just get this out of my way because my hand <laughs> wants to go there and it's making all this noise. <laughs> That's <sighs> great for audio. What are you talking yeah. about? Clink, clonk, clink. <laughs> uh, Harold Ludwig also knows of an oral history regarding Kokaljika, which tells of another war waged between spirits at the site in ancient times. The fight was between two brothers who were giants and in love with the same woman. Quote, they made piles out of stones, those granite boulders that are there today. And when they each threw a rock, they killed each other, but their pile of stones remains there. Classic, both guys punch each other out in the same (laughs) moment. (laughs) But fun origin story for how those very strange, otherworldly boulders could have gotten there. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures of it now. It's really, really interesting. It's like, it's just a huge pile of rocks. It's funny because it, it makes me think of like what you would see in like Pennsylvania, in coal country, if you will. Yeah, like strip mining happening and that being the leftover rock piled up, but it's just there of its own accord. Exactly. So Mr. Ludwig believes in Black Mountain's dark forces, which is why he warns people not to enter the site, a mistake his friend from Sydney made during a visit. Quote, I told him, don't go in there because I know there's a Bora ground, but he was headstrong and wanted to go. After being in that place, he got home and was tormented by what he said was devils and spirits. According to Mysterious Universe, which is oh boy. an aus- auspicious site, which is why <laughs> I've condensed it all into this one paragraph, pretty much. Good call. Um, many, many strange tales are centered on Black Mountain, and here they all are in one long thing. <laughs> it is said that animals are spooked by the mountains, that the mountain ex- exudes some evil force, that the mountain disrupts the navigational equipment of airplanes flying nearby, and boasts both UFO activity and reports of strange lights. Black Mountain is also said to have cavernous underground chambers purported to hold everything from alien bases to lost civilizations, wow. ancient tombs and priceless lost treasures, including stockpiles of gold, historic artifacts, and ancient texts. A secret alien base is suggested to exist beneath the boulders from which UFOs emerge, inhabited by a race of reptilian alien humanoids that keep human slaves. Others speculate that the boulders were laid down by some ancient lost civilization millennia ago and that this society thrived deep under the mountain in an enormous hollowed-out domain. Still, other tales tell of enormous pythons that live among the boulders and attack on wary hikers. (laughs) There is also said to be an enigmatic large cat-like predator known as the Queensland tiger that prowls the area and has been blamed for cattle mauling and mutilations that have occurred in the surrounding regions. Are there any ghosts, too? Probably. Okay. I think I just just got paranormal bingo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But perhaps the most well-known and indeed spookiest phenomenon related to Black Mountain is the very high number of mysterious disappearances that have taken place there. While indigenous peoples have stories of their uh, own vanishing at the mountain since long before Europeans arrived, the first modern account of an unexplained disappearance here dates to 1877, when a courier by the name of Grainer went out on horseback looking for a stray calf, only for the man, the horse, and the calf to never return. Hmm. Widespread searches of the mountain turned up no trace of the animals or their courier, uh, or the courier, and it was assumed that they had fallen into one of the many jagged chasms between the boulders. A few years after this... A little guy with a red mustache disemboweled them and 
took off on a chair. <laughs> yeah, it could have been. Some paywall content right there. Yeah, yeah. No one will recall this <laughs> except for... Maybe three people who might have listened to that by now. Or you know what? You guys are... Most of you are missing out on a good story. That's right. Man, I'm not going to say anything more. <laughs> but you know where to find it. Behind the paywall. Yep. <laughs> um, we'll explain more later. Go ahead. A few years after this, a notorious criminal known as Sugarfoot Jack... Oh, dear. ...and a couple of his accomplices fled to Black Mountain following a shootout, naturally. They were never seen again, and despite the exhaustive police search that followed, there was no evidence that all... Um, there was no evidence at all to hint at where they had gone. They had simply vanished. Hmm. Later, a local man by the name of Harry Owens was out looking for stray cattle, and when he did not return, his partner George Hawkins informed the police and went out looking for him. When Hawkins did not return either, the police launched a search of the mountain for the two missing men. According to the account, two police officers ventured into one of the caves, and only one of them emerged. When the lone officer came out of the darkness, he was reportedly completely unhinged and so terrified of whatever he had seen that he could not give a coherent report of what had happened. Which is kind of spooky. This is from yeah. 1882. Okay. Uh, decidedly before creepypasta in the classic sense. <laughs> yes. Uh, 1890, a constable Ryan was stationed in nearby Cooktown, uh, tracked a fugitive to Black Mountain, along with other trackers, only for the trail to abruptly end at the mouth of one of the caves, as if the criminal had just stepped off the face of the earth. Ryan entered the cave to see if the fugitive might be hiding inside, but according to those present, he never came back out, and no one else was willing to risk going in after him. Hmm. Neither of them was ever seen again. Wow. And it goes on like this. They probably all came out just a few hundred feet beyond the mountain. And rejoined the stream <laughs> yep. or whatever. The river. In 1920, two young explorers determined to solve the mysterious disappearances, go missing themselves, along with some of the trackers who go looking for them. Um, a Q Packer goes missing in 1928 while prospecting at Black Mountain. His body is later found next to his rifle with a bullet wound to his head. Oh, wow. And then in 1932, Harry Page goes missing while hiking on Black Mountain and is later found dead from unknown causes. In all cases except for the body of Page, no hard evidence was ever found to reveal what had happened to the vanished, to the vanished persons. In the case of Page, he was shot in the head by the mountain, right? Weird. This is all from Mysterious Universe and I did not catch that. It was Page and Packer. Both Page were Packer. found. Oh, sorry. Okay. So, but the mountain shot him in the head. The reason. mountain shot him in the head. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um... But in every every other case, people just simply vanish and are never seen again. Hmm. In all likelihood, however, most probably fell into any of the numerous caves, crevices, and chasms of the mountain. It's Makes not like sense. some kind of monster came up and took them away. The Mysterious Universe article gives what it says is the account of an experienced outdoorsman who, quote, penetrated into the mountain armed with a pistol and flashlight. <laughs> but, and I will read this quote-unquote account but it's a bit indiana jones for me but who knows maybe it's real (laughs) i stepped into the opening like other black mountain caves it dipped steeply downwards narrowing as it went suddenly i found myself facing a solid wall of rock but to the right there was a passageway just large enough for me to enter in a stooping position i moved along it carefully for several yards The floor was fairly level, the walls of a very smooth granite. The passage twisted and turned this way and that, always sloping deeper into the earth. Presently, I began to feel uneasy. A huge bat beat its wings against me as I passed. Just punched him with its wings. And took his money. However, I forced myself on to push further. Soon my nostrils were filled with a sickly, musty stench. Then my torch went out. I was in total darkness. From somewhere that seemed the bowels of the earth, I could hear a faint moaning, which was then followed by the flapping of wings of thousands of bats. I began to panic as I groped and floundered back the way I thought I had come. My arms and legs were bleeding from bumps with unseen rocks. My outstretched hands clawed at space. I expected solid walls and floors, but could not find it. (laughs) At one stage where I had wandered into a side passage, I came to the brink of what was undoubtedly a precipice, judging by the echoes. Mm. The air was foul, and I felt increasing dizziness. Terrifying thoughts were racing through my mind about giant rock pythons I have seen around this mountain. (laughs) As I crawled along, getting weaker and losing hope of ever coming out alive, excuse me, loosing hope, I saw a tiny streak of light. 
It gave me super strength to worm my way towards a small cave mouth, half a mile from the one I had entered. Reaching the open air, I gulped in lungfuls of it and fell down exhausted. I later found that I had been underground for five hours, most of the time on my hands and knees. A king's ransom would not induce me to enter those caves again. <laughs> oh, ice. It's a right bloody corker, that is, yep. boy, mate. I tell you what. <laughs> so, yeah. Thankfully, there are sounder minds. Uh, Gavin Deere, the most Australian-looking geologist ever. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Uh, lives near Black Mountain. Mr. Deer is well-versed in the mountain's mythology, but has debunked many of the wilder theories, such as the mis- mystery energy fields purported to mess with aerial navigation. Uh, quote, I've tested it myself with compasses. That's rubbish. I've talked to helicopter pilots who fly, it, uh, fly over it. They're fine. One theory is it was a man-made pyramid. It's on one of those meridian points of the planet. That's a big one you'll find on YouTube. We've had numerous people want to come up and camp near it to gather its energy. <laughs> Unquote. An avid adventurer, Deer said the legendary disappearances were more to do with mishap than mystery. Quote, if you try and climb to the top, you've got about 200 calculated leaps you have to make between boulders. If you have a knee fail or a slip, you can tumble down there and you just will not come out. Hmm. Unquote. So is, is it on a ley line as far as you can tell? <laughs> I don't know. Everything's on ley lines. There you go. You, yeah. That's an episode 1920 um, Super Derby special report. Thing yeah. is we, uh, both, funny, both of both of our segments happen to cover yeah. that it's, same stuff. We have a way of doing this. <laughs> um, but yeah, ley lines, yeah, there's, they're, they're, they say there's major ones and then slightly smaller ones and then finer ones from there. And as you keep going down and down, eventually. Instead of lines, you, be, you see just kind of a general, just total uh, black grid. coating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All that said, Deer remains pleasantly open to the spooky. Quote, Mm. no matter how rational I am, I'm always doing my best not to piss off the mountain. Mm. Uh, Sort of fun post-tale factoid, the relatively small and unusual environment provided by Black Mountain is the world's only habitat for at least three animals. The Black Mountain boulder frog, or rock-haunting frog, which I think (laughs) is great. That's a pretty awesome name. The Black Mountain skink and the Black Mountain gecko. This makes the area one of Australia's most restricted habitats for endemic fauna. Pretty unlikely to see any giant boulder pythons, though. <laughs> oh. Which that one guy totally saw all the time. Like, oh, I know they're around here. I've seen them, so I yeah. hope they don't get me. <laughs> I'm only mentioning it now because, oh my god. Huh? One sec. I think there's a tick crawling outside the window. Holy shit, I think you're, yeah. Is that what that is? That looks like that's what that is. It's just a weevil. Okay. <laughs> it really does look like the shape of one. It has that kind of teardrop-shaped body. Yeah. It's the season for ticks here in New England, and uh, we're not looking forward to all that entails. Yeah, I looked at a uh, map of Lyme disease threat, and we're, like, in the black zone. <laughs> it's a, it's The chromatic scale goes from white, which is not present, to light pink, which is, like, minimal threat through deeper and deeper rows to black <laughs> they jump from that to black which is like oh god it's like you already have it <laughs> yeah you you yeah <laughs> dig dig a hole in the ground friend um while you can still move your joints anyway ticks it was a weevil thank god it's not gonna burrow through the wall and kill me. suck some sap out of plants or something give the plants lyme disease yeah that's what i got okay well, i love that very cool i i'm really really want to go there it does sound compared to a normal cave um which can be very dangerous in its own way just based on the all the different random like drop-offs and stuff uh it can be if i don't know if folks on like to follow you know national geographic or anything on instagram but one of their photographers um i can't remember his first name his last name is shown um i think his i think his uh handle is shown photo s-h-o-n-e photo uh and he, most of the stuff he does is just follow different expeditions into caves and take really cool photos. That's and cool. it's neat seeing all the kind of stuff they do. But it also really just demonstrates how treacherous and dangerous it is yeah. to do that in normal caves. Just right. being boulder caves it just makes everything that much more unstable and that much you know, harder to find normal surfaces to walk on. Right. Uh, and stable surfaces for that matter. Another sure. thing that happens too is these black rocks, they superheat during the day. And then if there happens to be, uh, uh, you know, rain come through real quick or whatever mm. 
the quick cooling will cause the rocks to sometimes shatter or Bam. snap, which can generate very strange noises, but also leads to constantly shifting terrain. And the formation of giant snakes. Yes, exactly. Just rocks constantly shattering to form <laughs> an animate python <laughs> shape. It's just a snake golem. That would be amazing. I guess that is Onyx Pokemon. Oh, which one is it? What's it called? Onyx. Onyx. Okay, sorry. Yeah, there you go. Well, that's the origin of that. <laughs> Very good. Before we move on too much, uh, we would like to once again remind you, we have a Patreon, and it's great. And if you want to know what a glug suck is and why we call you that, or if you want to find out about the thing we talked about a minute ago, the paywall episode, uh, we do have bonus minisodes. You can get stickers, you can get bonus minisodes, you can get curated outtakes, some good stuff available for you. Many a good thing. And um, we really appreciate your support. Even if you just want to leave us a, a tip level, basically, like a dollar a month yeah. or whatever, we would uh, put that right back into the show. Yeah, every every dime we get going forward is going to go towards uh, advertising the show to try and f- find more cool listeners like you. If we get enough, we can start going on location to do some of our own exploration. We can go to Black, Guys, Black we Mountain. We could find Sasquatch <laughs> or Black Mountain. We yeah. could find Black Mountain. We could find it. Like, guys, we did it. It's right there. <laughs> Let's just like the tourist sign things explaining where you the are. The map well. is legit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of cool places just in our neck, uh, our neck of the woods. And um, yeah, with your support, we can get out there. So please consider checking out patreon.com slash super superduperstitious. We'll link to it in the bio like we always do now. And we'll hope you check it out. And we also hope... Well, join us next week on another episode of the very same show in the very same place. This is that. Goodbye. Bye.